invitation. That moment when you are with some friends or perhaps people that you have just recently met and the invitation is given. Would you be interested in coming to our house for, for an evening meal with us? When that happens, the relationship moves to a whole different level. There's a different sense of social significance when we get together with people and share a meal, especially if it's in their home. Now, usually what happens is you meet and you'll go out to eat, test the waters, make sure everything's gonna be okay, but then if you want that more intimate feel, you meet in one another's homes. And when that happens, one of the first things that my wife often will do is ask, yes, what can we bring? That's our way of saying we would like to contribute and be a part of this meal. We would like to share a part of us with you, not only by our presence, but by bringing something. And if they say no, then my wife tells me, okay, Tony, housewarming gift. You gotta give them something. That first time, you gotta give them something. After that, you're on your own. What about you, Janelle? Does that ring true at all for you? This idea of when what? you're invited to someone's home, do you always ask, uh, what can I bring? Yeah. And if not, do you, for uh -huh. that first time, do you bring them a small gift? We always bring queso. Homemade queso. Queso? <laughs> What's a queso? Is that like a one of those furry rabbits or something like that? Have you never had cheese dip queso? You know? Oh, that's where queso. you take the Velveeta cheese, put it in the microwave. Yeah, but we make the homemade salsa that goes in the Velveeta. Oh. And they're friends for life. I'm telling you, it's that good. Unless they get sick. They've never got sick. Really? They keep inviting us back just for the queso. Just for the queso. Bring the... Well, if you say so, <laughs> you get that queso, say so. Never mind. Wow. <laughs> I get it. Tonight is Monday, Thursday. This mm -hmm. is Holy Week. And on Monday, Thursday, typically we, in the past, Beatitudes Church has had a service. Mm -hmm. This year, we thought we would do something different and allow Monodia to be the host of our service. So some individuals are here with us live, others are watching online, and others may be either watching or listening to this at a later time. Right. So Janelle, as we move into this subject, one of the questions I have for you is if individuals want to interact with us, yeah. either in the moment, live, or if they want to inter maybe share ideas, thoughts, questions at a later time, how do they do that? Easily. Uh, if you're watching live, you can text us. The number to text is 480-389-4974. Or you can go to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and in the chat function, just type in your question or your comment. If you're watching at a later time after the fact, you can just email your comments and questions to us and we will immediately respond or when we Check our email. Yeah, and we do appreciate you emailing us because that is something that yes, we we, en we enjoy reading those emails and responding to individuals. And it's media at beatitudeschurch.org, by the way. So tonight we're going to be talking about the meal. That meal, that last meal, often called the Last Supper. In time, it became called communion, mass, Eucharist. 
That's our main focus tonight. We're going to be looking at that. And then having looked at that, we're going to be understanding where it might have begun with, in, with Jesus and where it's at today and what have we gained and what have we lost in this period of evolution of this last mill. We'll be right back and you'll hear about that. There is no reason to doubt that Jesus shared many different meals with his followers. And more than likely, he shared one last meal with them. Now, we are not sure. This is where the uncertainty begins to come into place. We don't know if Jesus knew that this was going to be his last meal. That we're unsure of. Over time, this last meal evolved into something more than just a meal. And as it evolved, it took on new meaning. It had new ideas that were introduced to it. And so today, you will see within Christianity four of the main ideas behind the meaning of that last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. Those are, number one, that the bread and wine somehow changes completely into the actual body and blood of Jesus. The second view says that the real body and blood of Jesus are present in that meal, but it is in, with, and under the forms of bread and wine. Now again, hear that difference. On the one side, it is the bread and wine actually become and are transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus. And when you partake of it, that's what's happening. That's why many early Christians were accused of being carnivorous. And the other view, however, and this one especially started with Martin Luther when he broke from the Roman Catholic Church, he maintained that the Jesus was present and the body and blood were real, but rather than becoming those elements, it's either in, with, or under those. Well, many individuals were uncomfortable with that, and they came up with a different idea. They believe that Jesus is present literally in the elements, but it is a spiritual presence, not a physical presence. And then finally, where the majority of Protestants, evangelicals end up right, settling in, is that the Lord's Supper is seen as a remembrance of Jesus's suffering and a reminder of his power to overcome sin and death. So those are the four dominant ways that people look at communion. And depending upon what church you attend and the degree that you wanna be involved in, you will discover very quickly where those are. Those individuals who see the elements as actually becoming the body and blood of Jesus, more than likely, you are not going to be allowed to partake of those elements unless you are a member of that church. 
Other churches have what they call open communion, and these are the ones who take it more as a symbol or as an act of remembrance of what Jesus had done. Well, underneath even these four different meanings, there are three layers of tradition. And the reason I want to look at them is because we're going to start with Jesus and more than likely what he experienced with his followers. And then we're going to end with where a lot of churches are today. And as we look at this evolution, I want you to think about, is this a positive evolution or is it negative or is it a little bit of both? So that first layer that we're going to uncover is a historical labor layer. And it, I would call it a table fellowship. The roots of this go back to Jesus himself. Jesus loved to eat with people. Over and over you hear stories about Jesus and the writers will tell them. So that kind of tells you that this was an important part of what he was and how he was remembered. What's amazing though, is that when Jesus is said to share these meals with other people, he normally shares it with those who, well, he shouldn't be sharing it with. These are individuals that a good, upright standing individual would not associate with, number one. But to actually share a meal with them, out of the question. And so Jesus' presence was vivid for many of those people when they shared that meal with him. He made an impact upon their lives. Now, if that's the first one, this realization of Jesus' vision for humanity, this idea that Jesus is actually willing to sit down at a meal with anyone, if that's the first layer, then the second layer is one that takes place post-resurrection or post-Easter. And this layer we could call the resurrection layer. It's what happened afterwards that the church reflected back upon Jesus's life. And when they thought about Jesus and his presence, one of the things that continually stood out to them was that he was very real for them when they had a meal. And when they ate, somehow when they shared those meals with each other, even though he was not physically present with them, they felt his presence. This story is especially seen in Luke chapter 24 in the story of the road to Emmaus. Two of Jesus' disciples, his followers, are on the road and Jesus poof, appears with them. And initially, they don't even recognize him. Which, by the way, just a little sideline there, that's quite interesting, isn't it? That Jesus was resurrected, but yet individuals that should have known him, should have recognized him, did not. That alone tells us what kind of resurrection we should be thinking about. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, just a little teaser, this coming Sunday at Beatitudes, and you can listen to it either live or join us on the corner of Glendale and 7th. We're going to be talking more about that. But listen to what it says happened when Jesus joined these two. As they were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey, Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 28, Jesus acted as if he were going to go on. And they asked him, they said, stay the night with us since it's already getting late. 
So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly, the text says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Think about that. They didn't know who he was, but in the context of a meal, their memories of Jesus's real presence with them, those memories of all the meals they used to share with him, something clicked. And this is more than just a, a resuscitated body that they experience. Because the text adds in the next line, at that moment, he disappeared. So it wasn't just a human body that they see or they experience. There's something more than that. But it seems to me that the focus is on Jesus and meal. And that's why many individuals celebrate the Lord's Supper as experiencing the presence of Jesus among us today. So the, the first layer, again, is that historical labor layer, that table fellowship. The second one is that resurrection layer, the importance of remembering Jesus in the midst of a meal. The third one is a reenactment layer. Now, one of the challenges that the early church had was they, as they started to grow, well, they couldn't get everyone together for a meal. So what do you do? You, you, I mean, to be able to, as the church grows with, and the numbers multiply, how do you have a meal where everyone's together? So instead, instead of having a full-scale meal, they shrank it down. And the bread and wine took on a different meaning. Instead of being a part of a meal, now the bread and wine, they are the centerpiece. That's all there is. And with that, it begins to take on new meaning. And that meaning is tied into trying to understand why did Jesus die? And with that meaning, an emphasis begins to be placed upon Jesus's death as a form of sacrifice. That's why in time, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, actually become the sacrificed body of Jesus again and the true body and blood of Jesus. And as we mentioned, there was individuals who weren't comfortable with that, and over time, we begin to see that evolve. What I find fascinating is that as this last meal began to evolve, it actually shifted and it went from a social gathering, a social transformation of individuals coming together from all different walks of life. And instead, it shifted toward more of a religious ritual for insiders. Instead of being for outsiders, now it's for the insiders. And Instead of being for the building up of this sense of community where people feel like everyone belongs, instead it becomes very individualistic and a sense of spiritual edification. So when individuals take communion today, instead of being a meal that everyone shares together, 
its focus is upon me. The majority of churches that I have served or attended, that's exactly what communion has become. And I pastor a church and have attended churches that have more of the sense of symbolism or remembrance of Jesus' life, but it's really quiet. It kind of has this stoic feel. That's the mood kind of there. And it's very internal focused. There's, it's, not, it's not a typical what you would experience in a meal. Instead, it's inward inspection. And so that's the question. Have we missed something? In allowing this transition to take place, have we moved away from the table as a symbol of community in which an alternative and radically egalitarian vision of Jesus is to be reenacted to one that excludes many individuals, either intentionally or even unintentionally. Another way we can see this is in the language that is used. Many churches, it's no longer called a table. It's an altar. And again, you can hear the difference in that. A table is something that people gather around. An altar focuses upon sacrifice. When you talk about the kingdom, I mean, when you talk about a table and gathering around a table, for Jesus, I would imagine that that's where the kingdom of God happens. Today, it appears that we see the kingdom of God as more of an individual sense of salvation. And again, my question, have we missed something now? And have we so far gone down this road that there's no turning back? Or is there? We're going to talk more about that right after this break.
We're so glad that you could join us on this Monday, Thursday. Wow, I really liked what you said about a social transformation. I had never thought about that before. Well, I think it was for Jesus mm -hmm. and his, those individuals that, I mean, think about it. When you're invited to someone's home that has a lot of wealth or mm -hmm. has a lot of importance, Mm -hmm. That gives you bragging rights, right? You can name drop on that one. <laughs> you know, hey, I was at so-and-so's house. Yeah, I don't know. I guess if you want to do that. Right? Sure. But yet these are people that would never have been invited right. to a meal. <clears throat> and yet Jesus, this, this is just my opinion. I have no mm -hmm. proof of this. But I, I don't, there's a hint where it says that Jesus had no place to lay his head. You do wonder if Jesus was more of a nomad and didn't have his own home. If that is true, if he mm -hmm. didn't, yeah, then he was really never able to host a meal himself. So he was dependent true. upon other That's people. True. I never thought that either. And then when he went, it was kind of like, I'm bringing my group with me. <laughs> yeah. And can you imagine some, I mean, again, I'm just using my imagination, but can you imagine all of a sudden these people, Jesus comes and he's bringing these people with him? A crowd. And, yeah, and it's like, oh, what? <laughs> Number one, you didn't tell us you're bringing you a bunch of us. friends. I and don't have enough. What do you do? Them? But it's Jesus. Yeah, and so you're bringing them? Loaves and fish, so quantity isn't a problem, right? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. No, agreed. So that's why I think it was transformative to actually feel like you had a place at a table. Yeah. I'm, wow. I think that was really powerful what you said about the edification. Um, I'm not sure that's been my experience. You don't feel edified when you... Uh, no. <laughs> I guess I grew up with more of the table communion layer feel for it. Meaning... Um, that it was it was about sharing sharing a meal with others. Yeah, but and, how how and a remembrance of Jesus. Yeah, yes. but help me remember. Help me with this. Then people say that it, that it's remembering the meal. Come on. Well, if I went yeah, to but it was less about. I mean, it was more about that than it was Jesus' sacrifice and, and right. But if this I, is for your salvation and. But if I went to a if if someone said, "Look, this is a meal," and uh -huh. and, and this is where I have frustration at times with communion but they say you know it's it's remembering a meal mm -hmm. we're not even giving people appetizers <laughs> a little tiny piece of bread and and, okay. and not even a shot of wine that's it's all symbolic they, it's, it's symbolic how can that be symbolic what do you mean but that's it the had question. To be. It had to be have... because there were so many. You said that yourself. Yes. They but... had to transfer it. Yes, but at least bring like five, six loaves of bread or 20 <laughs> loaves of bread and share it around. Let people have a good hunk of it. And, Not the wafers. And a, and a glass of wine. I mean, <laughs> you, do you see what I'm saying? Is yes. We have taken it, and even the, the amount that is given seems to, to communicate something. I, I don't know if we think about oh, it, but that's to me, it does. Yeah. It's almost like this little tiny sliver of something. And, well, and, and that but, does not in any way for me bring about the imagery of meal. Not, none so whatsoever. Okay, true. So what does it bring for you? Unpack that. Just a ritual. A ritual that 
I um, think is very much about a spiritual sense of, and 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 we even we use the word sacrament. Um, many churches do, and including our denomination uses that word. It's almost like it has this spiritual power to it, or something. But again, I think we've walked so far away with from what Jesus was actually doing. Mm-hmm. So we have a comment. Yeah. Or a question, actually. Why do we need to remind ourselves that Jesus focuses on the community or the we and not the me? What happened? I I don't know. I think the only thing I can think that happened is somehow personal salvation outvalued, if if you would, the sense of community. Right. And so when I watch communion today... Mm -hmm. It is very much an individualistic thing that takes place. You aren't talking to other people. You're not engaging other people. Um, it's very solemn. True. And I just don't know if we can, if we, if a sense of community, the only the only sense of community that I experience yeah. is I got other people in the room with me. But other than that, it's mm-hmm. not even close. And I'm wondering if we are missing out because of that. Yeah, so if the focus and the meaning is on the sacrifice, I think by thinking of it otherwise, that's diminishing the power of of that, you know, that the humanity's fallen, we're sinful, and we need to be saved, and doesn't it? Well, I think if you look at the creeds, Mm -hmm. where's the focus? His birth, his death, and resurrection. Yes. Everything that he did in between. Yeah. The words he said, the way he lived. Nothing. Not there. Right. And that's what I think has happened to this idea of meal, is we've moved it from being a part of our daily life and the importance of being connected mm-hmm. with each other to something that just happens some churches every week, some once a month. Right. And I think that can actually be... Um... <laughs> Well, if we don't kind of make that transformation, I'm reading an interesting book called Strange Rights, mm. and it talks about uh, the millennial generation and younger mm-hmm. and what's important to them. And for them, foremost is personal authenticity and um, the experiential. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about that in terms of communion, I would think... <laughs> the ritual of the little wafer and the cup is not experiential at all. That's cold and... Right. So I think getting back to that table mentality, I don't know what to call it. What would you call it? Table fellowship. Table fellowship, yeah, thank I, you. I, I think what's... And what's really hard on this one for me, Janelle, hmm. is that when I look at how this ritual has existed for you know anywhere from 17 to maybe 1900 years mm-hmm. or more i don't know if we can bring it back because it has so much emotional ties to it in in this it's it's a ritual that one has done from for many individuals from when they were young until later on in life true 
And so how do you remove that? How do you move that back? And, and this isn't the only area, but this is a significant area because this will get ministers and fired. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I mean, it, it, it's because, because of the, the emotional uh -huh. ties to it. Well, I'm just thinking of the little baptism I we thing that we talked about yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah, this would be huge, I would imagine. Yeah, and for some churches, it's never going to happen. And mm -hmm. that it, no, no, for, you know, for some denominations, but on right. other denominations, you know, you, one of the things you and I were talking about was uh, an idea that has floated through my mind and I've never acted on it yet. What? And I use the word yet um, <laughs> is actually holding mm -hmm. a meal. Explain. In, so when you come to church, instead of worship, meeting in the worship center, you would meet in the a fellowship hall. Okay. And you walk in, and there would be tables set up. Yeah. And you would have a meal together, and that would be church. Oh. Now I, I've shared but, that idea with. But I think we had this discussion before. Yes, we did. I feel like the sacred of is sort of lost in the translation, like. How do you make that feel sacred? And I've mentioned this idea to a few people, uh -huh. and they said, well, you have to have some some of the regular church elements in there. Okay, Be, such so, as? So to well, make so it... Like for worship, you so, have... So to make it feel sacred. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things, if you think about monodia, what we're doing here, uh -huh. is that we... we promote this as an alternative form of worship. Yes. And many people are uncomfortable with it because it doesn't have those Sacredness. worship elements to it. Right. And I think what you brought up is very interesting, uh -huh. not only for this particular topic, yeah. but for all of life. And that mm -hmm. is, we have a nice way of separating mm -hmm. the sacred and the secular. Yes, we do. And if it happens in worship center, if it happens and there's a sermon and there's music and there's uh -huh. prayers, then it's sacred. sacred. But if it's not. Right. So my question <laughs> to you would be, when Jesus had a meal with his followers, with uh -huh. friends, uh -huh. was, that a sacred, uh, was that a sacred event? Well, you would, it sounds like it would be, but th th again, how do we, let's define sacred. How do you define sacred? Exactly. And so, I think that ultimately, how you define sacred for me goes back to your view of God. And the language that you use. Yes. And if you see God as being something that is primarily transcendent, yeah, it right. can occasionally be imminent, but it's more transcendent. It's a, mm -hmm. it's something beyond us. It's a being that one yes. speaks to, or then that very much is going to impact how you see the sacred. But if you see God as something that is imminent and cannot be separated with nature uh -huh. and the world, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that line between sacred and secular becomes very skewed. Mm -hmm. Very blended. And that's why the Celtics 
often refer to what is called thin places, where the sacred and the secular are come so close together uh -huh. that they call it a thin place, where almost the, the barriers between those two okay. have become broken down. Wow. And so that's my question is, is if we developed a new way of thinking yeah. about sacred and secular, and then could take that and blend that into mm -hmm. what we do in, um, in faith communities. Yes. And it would probably have to be pretty repetitive, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would take time. And I think that's, yeah. the, that's the thing is you would, you would never remove the, I don't think we, you remove old rituals. I think you add new ones in. And so you're not taking something away from people. We have a question about that, actually. Please. You talk about ritual. Can it be a ceremony as a form of transformation? How do we do that now? Well, I, 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 <laughs> well I'm going to bring it back to this idea of meal. Mm-hmm. When we've gone to people's homes, yeah. When you're really present and you're enjoying the company and you're able to relax and mm -hmm. time almost disappears. Yeah. And to me, those experiences are transformative. Sure. They, you walk away from there changed. In some way or another, it has impacted your life. Right. Because you've spent that with other human beings, you've shared with them, there's a form of, there's a rich sense of hospitality that is there. And, and so I, I don't know if we have so separated mm -hmm. rituals and made them individualistic. Mm -hmm. in the way that we perform them that I don't know how to, I don't know if we can move that back or if we just have to add more to it. I don't, I, that I don't know the answer to. I don't either. I, I think, um, and also everybody's definition of all this is different anyway. Yeah. Look so at how do we unite <laughs> our definitions of sacred or <laughs> worship everybody's well, think, got a different idea yeah I think what you have to do though is you have to again I if we if if you have a faith community that is saying we we are welcoming all people uh-huh I think that needs to be followed up with we are going to offer a variety of things to meet those various different needs as far as how they experience the sacred and the secular together. Okay. And I think the tendency is because worship, man, I hope I don't get myself in trouble with this. <laughs> I think worship can become so individualistic yeah. that it's based off of what I would like and therefore it's what I want. Uh-huh. And we don't think a lot about the other person yeah that's dangerous today considering our culture yeah and so if we are considerate considerate and we can get back that sense of community mm -hmm. and i think that's where the meal can help us mm -hmm. but if we can get back that sense of community 
yeah. then that comes with this sense of being considerate of other people. I mean, for example, if I come to your house mm -hmm. and you say to me, hey, Tony, can you pass me the potatoes? It would be queso. Oh, okay. If you, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I hope the camera was on you when you did that. <laughs> so if you said, hey, Tony, pass me the queso, uh -huh. right? And it, it's going well with the... Uh, the chicken and the mashed potatoes and the green beans. And so I pass you the queso, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That alone, think about that transition. Sharing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that is sacred. Yeah. And that's what I think we're missing a lot in worship <sighs> and in communion. Yeah, you could say, well, the ushers give it to them. But you miss this sense of True. having something in common with each well, other. Ushering is serving. I mean, it's yes, but who's ushering? You got a group of anywhere from six to fifteen people, depending on the size of your church. Yeah, that's it. But they have that's in and their if, hearts. If, if they want to help out. So some and... churches have you actually pass the tray from one person to the other, so that yeah. becomes more of this. But again, it's it's missing this element. And I think that's why, and this could be a tangent, I gotta be careful. <laughs> I think that's you one- You a tangent, what? I think that's one of the disadvantages, one of the disadvantages uh, of mega churches. Okay, go on. It doesn't encourage community and allows that kind of interaction. I mean, if individualistically, you, but I think corporately there's power in that too. When you look around and yeah, see they, everyone doing that same everyone's thing. Everyone's a spectator. Everyone's a, I can, the same thing happens when I go to a concert. Everyone's a spectator. Come on, how much community do you really have when you go to a, and watch the, the Phoenix <gasps> Suns play? When you, well, no, I was thinking a concert. Oh, but when but a even concert the Phoenix Suns back, like, how about a Neil Diamond when they do "Sweet Caroline" and the whole audience is behind okay. and singing, and it's like an that, energy. That was a... before my time. Oh come on, <laughs> really? <laughs> no, but but again, it's yes because there they are actually engaging. Uh -huh. But when that concert's over, you'll remember that event. But yes. How the many people do you know? from that. You might know the people you went with, yes. but are you going to know the people sitting around you? Unless you have season tickets and you go on a regular <laughs> basis to a game. Or you're a groupie of Neil Diamond and you go to every And then concert. you go to the, yeah, then you get to know. But but you see what I'm, you're missing. And that's where the mega churches, I think, uh -huh. have almost created this individualistic sense of going. Now, they, the, positive, the positive is that mm -hmm. they have very, they encourage small group homes. Yeah, small I was groups say, that meet in homes. That's, yeah, not true of all mega churches. But so. that is seen as not being worship. I don't know. I, uh, come on. So someone's going to share a meal. I think. So, someone, how would you, if someone came to you and said, you know, instead of going to, to coming to the this facility on Sunday, uh -huh. my church is the small group that meets once a week. How many pastors are going to go? Oh, that's good, good, yeah, yeah. No, they want them there. They want how many members? What are they looking for? How many people are there on Sunday mornings? That's the event. 
Yes. So how do we maintain that? But, but that's a once a week thing. Yes, but explore beyond that. that so, well, that's what the small groups are about. Yeah, but Sunday, why does Sunday morning have to be the event? I don't know. I've been trying to figure out for years. Maybe we need to add different <laughs> elements, not take it away, right. but add other elements that begin to, to, to highlight this social transformation that takes place when people really get together and share. So to me, I'm like, even if, if you had a church where let's say you have a hundred people coming and worshiping on a regular basis. Okay. You're probably gonna need at least two services, maybe three on those Sunday mornings where you, if you had a meal for your communion. Mm -hmm. So you would have smaller groups. Sure. Or you would have groups of tables with people around those tables and that becomes their little community. I don't know, I'm just throwing ideas out there. My main focus though, if we really wanna focus on the Last Supper. Yes. I, I think it would take a lot of work and a lot of courage for churches to introduce something different. Oh, for sure. To get us back to this idea of what Jesus, in my opinion, was really talking about. I mean, if that's mm -hmm. where the king, one guy I read said that it was at meals mm -hmm. where Jesus may have been doing the majority of his teaching. I would believe that. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. Everybody gathers in the kitchen. What's in the kitchen? Food. <laughs> and conversation. You know, and conversation. Yeah. Or sitting around a table. Exactly. Maybe, maybe that's the place where some of these aphorisms, these one-liners aphorisms aphorisms one of these long one-liners that were remembered yeah really got ingrained into their memories so that they passed those on and when they eventually Maybe. wrote it that's what they were able to catch yeah i think personally and then we distorted it that's where it happened yeah and then over time we gave it a different meaning mm-hmm and we lost something, I think, yeah. that, that is, again, emphasizing the difference between the sacred and the secular. All right. So next Monday, Thursday, next year, what's your vision? Wow. Yeah, that, um, I don't know. But that, I mean, just immediately, um, I think it'd be cool if you could what? get people together and have a meal mm -hmm. and, and share. Um, there was one thing, one church I was at, they had a custom on Thanksgiving Eve. Oh. People would bake pies uh -huh. and bring them. Oh. And they would sing some songs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they had three or four people that would, who were chosen ahead of time. Uh-huh to share what they were thankful for from that last oh, year. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. Now, was that worship? Was that a sacred experience? Was it sacred because it was at a church? Ooh. Exactly. I don't know. That's what I'm saying is somehow we're <sighs> going to need to rethink what we do and the meaning that we attach to it. Yeah. And seeing- Does it and, need and to be changing, elevated? 
and changing our definition. Well, see, but you just said it. It right. needs to be elevated. No, it doesn't need to be Ooh, elevated. There you go. I'm asking. Yes, instead okay. of being. Right. Right. And maybe the sacred and the secular are, maybe all of life is a thin place. Yeah. I don't know. Just ideas worth pondering. And taco trucks. That's um, literally a comment. Taco trucks? Taco trucks. That's where it's at. Taco trucks. With queso? Yeah. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know the answer to this one, but it's one that I have continued to struggle with. Yeah. Well, we have a whole year till next year to think about this. But it's not just every year. Here at this church, we have communion once a month. Oh, right. Uh, you better start getting and on And again, it. are we, by continuing to main, and I, this, honestly, I don't know the answer, but here's my question. By continuing mm. to maintain a ritual yeah. that has developed through the church. Yeah. Are we propagating something that is helpful or not as helpful? That's what I think to be able to, and it's hard wow, to ask, that's... it's hard to ask these questions because people, like I said <laughs> earlier, have such an emotional conviction mm -hmm. and tie, mm -hmm. and it's tied into their e e emotions. And not only that, but it's not only an emotional experience, but it's a physical experience. Is it that, can be, yeah. Is that bread and that wine into your mouth? Mm -hmm. it, 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 just that physical act can activate your brain and, and remembers this ritual. And it, so I, I don't think. Yeah, you got to be careful. But it is so focused on the person. Mm-hmm. That it misses perhaps what what Jesus was maybe trying to do. I don't know can, if we can ever get back to that, or if we ever should. Uh, it's a question that I'm going to continue to ponder. I'm not yeah. willing to give it up yet. No, it was very interesting. So, well, thank you very much for having spent this time with us. Um, for those of you who would like to stay on for just a little bit longer, we will have a meditation that I think you might enjoy. But again, when we prepared Manodia, one of the things we said is, well, how do we make it feel like worship? We, 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 we even bought back into that. Is this enough? Ideas, sitting around and talking with each other, listening, is that a sacred event? Is, is that worship? Or is it, have to be always something more i don't know the answers uh, maybe you do i would love to hear from you media at beatitudeschurch.org and if you were ever on the corner of glendale avenue i mean i'm sorry glendale and seventh avenue please drop in and see us and either come to one of our recordings at 8 30 8 45 on sunday mornings <laughs> okay and then we have our other gathering at 10.30. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we hope to see you next week for Ruminate on that. Take care and stay safe.
breath prayer to breathe reminds us that we just can't live on one breath of air. We can't live on one breath of God. God can be the oxygen of our soul, and we need to breathe that in all the days. After all, it is in God that we live and move and have our being. Breath prayer reminds us that each breath we are given is God's gift and God's spirit is so much nearer to us when we can slow down and practice a breath prayer. To practice a breath prayer ponders the nearness of God. So I'm encouraging you to settle in deeply to the truth that Christ is in you to deeply breathe in, repeating any name of God that is dear to you. And as you exhale, voice your deep desire for your Jerusalem. When you exhale, offer up the desires of your heart. The brevity of the prayer allows us to repeat it over and over again. So breathe in, Abba. Breathe out, I belong to you. Breathe in, healer. Breathe out, speak the word, and we shall be healed. Breathe in, shepherd. Breathe out, bring home my lost ones. Breathe in, Holy One. Breathe out, keep me true. Breathe in, Lord. Breathe out, here I am. Breathe in, Jesus. Breathe out, have mercy on us. Lord, all of creation, lover of life, and lover of everything, please help us to love in our very small way that you love infinitely and everywhere all at once. We give thanks that we can offer up just this one prayer in this one moment, and for today, that will be enough. But in reality, everything and everyone is connected more than just beyond this moment, for nothing stands alone. To pray for one part means that we are really praying for the whole. So help us each day to stand for love, for healing, for the good, for the diverse unity of the body of Christ and all of creation, because we know this is where you desire us. As Jesus prayed that all may be one, we offer our prayer together. With all of the holy names of God, we offer our prayer this morning together with Christ our Lord. Amen.